Welcome to Pop Psych 101, where we, licensed therapist Ryan Engelstad and licensed psychologist Dr. Haley Roberts, break down and analyze how mental health is represented in movies, shows, books, and across the pop culture and social media landscape. We will determine what lines up with real life and what is just pop culture fantasy. This is Pop Psych 101. Welcome back to Pop Psych 101. I am licensed therapist Ryan Engelstad, here with my co-host, Dr. Haley Roberts. Hello. Hello, Haley. We are back again to talk about a, a Netflix movie called Hypnotic. Mm-hmm. And this one is going to get tense in the sense <laughs> that I have a lot of strong feelings about it. But you know what? I think it's it's good for us to mix it up a little bit and talk about you know something that's not probably very well understood um, mm-hmm. in the mental health world, right? Mm-hmm. Yes. And there are a lot of things like that. There are a lot mm-hmm. of sort of fringe uh, either treatment approaches or things that people sort of subscribe to to kind of help them understand their mental health. So I think, you know, I, I'm, I'm curious, you know, of all those sort of things that are out there, are there... I don't know if it's necessarily controversial things, but mm-hmm. things that people have mixed opinions on that you're more on board with than others? Uh, yeah, certainly. I um, love like astrology and like tarot cards, which is obviously some people think it's a little woo-woo. I don't know that I believe like that it has any like direct impact in my life or any like direct control or anything over my life. But like I will say to my patients all the time, anything that can kind of help you be introspective and be insightful about the things that you are going through can be really helpful. And so I love reading my horoscope and being like, yeah, it's right. I was tense today or like I was upset with my friend today. Like I love kind of looking at it or if I'm like feeling confused about something and it's like, maybe you need to challenge yourself and look at it from somebody else's perspective. I go like, okay, well, Mm. let me look at this from another person's perspective. So I love it in that way. And I also always say to my patients, like, take what works and leave what doesn't. And so when the moments are like, you were fiery today. And I was like, no, I stayed in bed and watched TV. I was not fiery. (laughs) I just leave that, right? I I don't think that it has any, I'm not like suddenly now trying to find where I was fiery. So yeah, I think that's kind of the thing that I love. And um, I, yeah, I don't believe it, but I also don't not believe it. (laughs) I'm going to throw that out there. Mm. Um, I have this app that you put your date and time of birth, but also your location and all these things. And then it like tells you like the combination of those things, how you're like a specific version of your sign. And it felt so descriptive of me rather than just Uh. the one that's normally like, this is your sign and this is what you are. That sometimes fits, sometimes doesn't. This new one like kind of gives your moon sign and your sun sign and all these things that I don't understand. But it felt super descriptive. And so I was like, ooh, I'm so on board with this. (laughs) (laughs) How about you? Do you kind of subscribe to things that some people might think is a little woo-woo? So I guess, and it's, I, I really appreciate your answer because I, you know, certain things I have a very sort of strong oppositional feeling about. And <laughs> uh-huh. I think astrology is one of those because oh, I just, every time you. I read, like, <laughs> I know, well, I, I think it's just because 
I read the, you know, your horoscope for the day mm-hmm. and I'm like, kind of exactly what you said, like that could apply to anyone. Mm-hmm. Anyone could find something that that is true for. Uh-huh. And then I, I start to just feel like, well, you could find a way to write something general enough that it could apply to anyone if they wanted it to apply to them. So that's uh-huh. why I kind of get stuck with with the astrology stuff. But what I do like, which we talked a little bit about before, is I kind of like the tarot thing because uh-huh. it feels a little bit more like storytelling and I can create the the um the metaphoric narrative the sort of the, yeah yeah and I I, I, and I I look i think we're splitting hairs i think a little bit with with the astrology and tarot where it's sort of the same thing like i can take whatever meaning i want from it but you know there's something about the sort of imagery and sort of i like chance you know i like the cards coming out like oh this was shuffled and it's like uh-huh. oh, okay and now something about this moment these cards are coming out what does that mean uh-huh. i, I kind of like that i kind of uh-huh. like pulling meaning from nothing it feels very much um like improvisational which is uh-huh. something you and i both subscribe to uh-huh. so I, I get into that i've i've been to uh tarot card readings i've also been to a psychic who used uh crystals and uh, sort of did the whole thing and you explore that, so that... many things that i would like never consider <laughs> <laughs> well it's because there's part of me that wants them all to be true so i won't go like, to a psychic oh. because okay. part of me thinks that it might be true like i'm worried that oh, i'm gonna so go to like the one psychic who's it. not a fraud <laughs> yeah like, I'm okay. like, what if I go to the one psychic who's not a fraud and then they tell me something that I don't mm. want to know? <laughs> like, I don't want to open that door. <laughs> yeah. And and listen, this this psychic that my wife and I went to totally did tell us some way out there stuff, <sighs> you know, but they also said that we were going to have two kids, both boys. And they said <laughs> I was going to write like a young adult uh, story series. Well, that could still happen. And I guess that could still happen. Maybe you got mine. But enough. Of- Both those things sound fantastic. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> sure. And That's it was funny. it was just enough. And especially the crystal waving back and forth. I was like, all right. Kind of like, that's enough. <laughs> You're like, I think I've reached my um, end. <laughs> I'm out on the crystals. Yeah. That's funny. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Cool. But yeah. So, you know, there's a lot of out there. And I think uh, just like what you said, you can find useful things just about anywhere. You can also find things much like the the gen from Hypnotic that are also not necessarily going to work out so well for you. So with that, we're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we will talk about the Netflix movie Hypnotic. Pop Psych 101 discusses mental health as it is portrayed in pop culture media. And because of this, we often cover sensitive topics that can be triggering for some listeners. We also delve into the characters and plots of these stories, and therefore, spoilers abound. So please, use your discretion as you listen to the rest of the episode. Hypnotic is a 2021 American thriller film directed by Matt Angel and Suzanne Coote, written by Richard Dovidio and starring Kate Siegel, Jason O'Mara, and Dulé Hill. It was released on Netflix on October 27th of 2021 so uh, a recent thriller that dove into this sort of uh, approach let's say of of mental health treatment that you don't really see get covered a lot I, I was trying to think of other examples where 
hypnosis was sort of so strongly featured. And I couldn't come up with very many examples. Yeah, I can't come up with any off the top of my head. I know that this like type of idea definitely has been around. Sure. But uh, first of all, didn't know that Dulé Hill was one of the producers. Um, that was Detective Rollins. Yes. Yes. Of uh, West Wing fame. Yeah. I only know him from Psych. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. I, I went even yeah. further back to West That's Wing. Funny. But yeah. Yeah. I was, you know, the only other example I could think of was, was Get Out, which is, again, sort mm-hmm. of like a person who's using hypnosis for very uh, negative means. Oh, so completely different than this movie? Uh, yeah, completely awesome. different. Right. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So let's get into this. So, you know, right off the bat, so we, we meet and it was it was a little confusing because in the opening scene, we see this woman sort of feeling like the walls of her elevator are closing in. And oh, yeah. that woman looked very similar to the main character, uh-huh. Jen. I was immediately thrown off. So you thought it was the same person. I thought it was the same person. I did too. So I was too. immediately very confused. Which I ultimately we learn that's on purpose. Yes. So this movie is trying to do a lot of tricky stuff mm-hmm. and keep you off balance as uh, you know an audience member, mm-hmm. which I think it's effective at. And it, its plot device, you know, hypnosis, mm-hmm. is established as this sort of. Oh, like have you ever have you ever heard of hypnosis? Have you ever tried hypnosis? Is this sort of mm-hmm. very sort of neutral, just like a thing we could try? No big deal. Mm-hmm. And it quickly goes bad. But you know, I I had to start with how we are introduced to the hypnotist in question, oh, yeah. Dr. Colin Mead. Unfortunately, we weren't introduced to him as a hypnotist. We were introduced to him as a therapist. Oh yeah, and I was yeah. really uh, surprised that that's how he was referred to. And I guess. He is established as a sort of general therapist that sees a lot of people but doesn't do hypnosis with everybody. Correct. Yeah. And also, he's at his patient's party. Yeah. Just chilling, as as therapists do. Mm -hmm. And she calls him out on it, like, should you be doing this? And he's like, man, I don't really follow most of the rules. Well, so the the quote is amazing, because as soon as he said it, I was like, uh, red flag, right? (laughs) He He said something to the degree of, yeah, you know, we therapists have, you know, obviously a, a set of ethics and I follow, you know, 99% of them. And then he says, maybe 95% of them. Hmm. Not not what you want to hear a potential therapist say. <laughs> I'm like 95% ethical. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Oh, my gosh. So right off the bat, we're, we're suspicious, but the friend describes this person, Dr. Colin Mead, as like, oh, He's great. He's attractive, as if that is also like a selling point for the person you're supposed to be vulnerable with. That's like in college when you used to go to rate my professor and they'd have like the chili pepper next to them yes. to show that they were like a cute exactly professor. Right. That's so funny. <laughs> like so unrelated. Right. That's how you should base the classes you choose based oh. on how attractive how hot your the, professor the is. therapist are. Yeah. Yeah. So funny. And obviously, he's just given off super creep vibes, even in that party, right? He comes mm-hmm. over to Jen while she's talking to some of her friends. And he just like interrupts the conversation and asks Jen a very direct question, like, oh, and what do you do? And and sort of completely interrupts the, the conversation that was happening. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, I completely missed that. And somehow this is a person that she's like, oh, yeah, I should have more interactions with this person who was just sort of weirdly 
intrusively interested in me. Yeah. So to be fair, she wasn't interested in having further interactions with him until her friend Gina was like, hey, you need to see a therapist. Also, already made you an appointment. Yes, that's yeah. right. So Which yeah, how did, how did you feel about that? Because I, I, I think we appreciate Jen's friend. Uh, I think her name is Gina. Uh, I mm-hmm. think we appreciate Gina's intent and, and desire to support her friend who she recognizes as, you know, needing support. And clearly Jen did need support. She was going through a lot. She mm-hmm. had broken up this relationship with her fiance and mm-hmm. had also lost a child to a miscarriage. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, I think, like you said, Gina's intent was great. And and I think that's something that can be really hard to tell a friend like, hey, like, I think you need a little bit more support. There were ways where Gina did it where I was like, nicely done. But then there were ways where I was like, maybe not so great. Um, And I think really, if you are talking to your friends and trying to suggest that maybe they need to go to therapy, taking a more supportive and a less directive role is usually kind of the best way because people kind of need to want to go themselves. Otherwise, it's kind of not going to be super beneficial for them. Yeah. So yeah, like for Gina really being supportive and wanting to get her friend into therapy was great. And, you know, being willing to kind of call with your friend or to find more about a therapist that might be a good fit is great. However, you're kind of talking how Dr. Colin Mead had some like red flags. And for me, a pretty big red flag was that he was willing to make an appointment for a person who had never expressed interest in seeing him. And not only that, but someone that he had not spoken to in a professional capacity. Yeah, no. Right. So I don't know about your work, but for sure, in every work setting that I've been in, the only context in which you can even establish, like actually schedule an initial appointment for someone else is if that person's a minor, like a parent could schedule a session uh, or at least an evaluation for their minor child. Mm -hmm. But even in those cases, we almost always try to have, you know, have that child on the phone. I'd like to meet them. I'd like to introduce myself, something to kind of establish sort of some degree of consent for the appointment, right? Yeah. Well, so what's also interesting is you and I do teletherapy, right? So we get the paperwork signed prior to them ever showing up. And that's right. for me, consent is one of those things, even when it's a teenager. So I think that we do at least get the signature and then in our first session, we will get verbal, you want to be here, right? You're you're consenting to be here. But yeah, I would never schedule an appointment for somebody for them to just show up and that be the first time that I've spoken to them about me and my process. I have had mm-hmm. people reach out to me and say like, hey, I have a friend who has these things going on or I have a partner who has these things going on and I'm looking for a therapist. And I've been like, well, this is my approach to therapy. This is who I am. This is how I do my work. Here's what my schedule looks like, what my prices look like. If your friend or your partner is interested in moving forward with me, they will need to give me a call. And so I will like give the information and share generics of working with me, but I will not 
schedule or move forward with that person in lieu of the other person. Yeah, exactly. And I think that that's a really important point that you made that there are things that you can do as the supportive friend. You know, you can get some of that background information, you can acquire resources, you know, you can lay all the things out, you know, mm-hmm. you can even say, I spoke to them and here's when they're available. All the, all you need to do is call and reach out because I think that's the thing is that she, she reached that point on her own. Uh, Jen reached the point of saying, I think I'm ready to see a person. So that's what you want, right? You mm-hmm. want the person to kind of come to that conclusion on their own. And then the sort of, Oh great. Well, I already scheduled you an appointment. And it's like, okay, now I'm already sort of feeling a little bit on the defensive. Yeah. I didn't choose this person you know, it's great that you're having a good experience, but, you know, you'd like a little bit more autonomy in that process. Yeah. Well, and what's so funny about you saying I'd like a little bit more autonomy is later she goes, I'm not a giveaway control kind of person. Uh, Yeah, clearly you are. Yep. <laughs> and then later on, yeah, so, super clearly she is. Oh, yeah. Big yeah. time. So, yeah. So, you know, I, I thought in thinking about Dr. Colin Mead, you know, there were a number of other... Uh, warning signs for yeah. me in the sort of even in just the build up to this first hypnosis session. Mm-hmm. The office. <laughs> oh my God, it's so terrifying. His office is absolutely terrifying. These sort of crazy bright red lights. And I know it's like it's a sort of a thriller, sort of horror movie. And it's like you gotta <laughs> set the tone. But if you walk into a waiting room and it's like full concrete and black and weirdly bright red lights i'm not sure that that i mean like our whole thing is to create a space of comfort right yeah nothing about that space spoke spoke comfort to me no it felt like a dungeon yes exactly it's terrifying and then the patient that like walks out when she's in it also just has like this nervous energy to her and i was like i would have run mm-hmm. i would have been like i i i can't be here i'm i'm going i'm done <laughs> Yeah, and the way that she talked about him is the way you talk about a cult leader. Like, he changed mm-hmm, my yeah. life. He'll change your life, too. And therapists and psychiatrists and counselors are, are great, but they are not the movers. Mm-hmm. You, the patient, it depends on you, your work, right? So I, 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 my favorite saying from one of my former supervisors is, you know, when a patient succeeds, it's not because of the therapist. Mm-hmm. You know, there are so many other factors at play and, and it's more than likely that whatever work the patient is doing in session, they are then carrying on that work out of session. And that's that has nothing to do with the therapist, right? Yeah. So anytime you hear like, oh, he's a mirror worker worker or oh, all these sorts of things, it's always always kind of a, a concern for me. I don't know that there's a concern for me when people speak that way because I've heard a lot of people kind of be like, this person changed my life. And you and I know like, no, we didn't change your life. You changed your life. They were just right, there supporting right. it. Mm-hmm. But I don't always think that like patients see it that way. Like I think sometimes people right, truly believe that my it. work yeah. with this person is what changed my life. Mm-hmm. And because like the work, because you and I do this work, we obviously are always kind of put it back on like, no, you did it. But I think people do, a lot of people do speak about their therapists in ways that are like, oh my God, she's the best or he's the best. Like you have to go see him. He has changed the way I look at things. Mm -hmm. And I think one thing you have to be careful about is like, who is saying that, (laughs) right? Like who is saying it and how are they saying it? Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah, and I guess, and and maybe if your friend who's referring you a therapist is talking about their therapist this way, you know, maybe some there are some maybe important follow up questions, sort of like, mm-hmm. what did you do that helped you get those results, right? Mm-hmm. Because if your therapist is just like a motivational speaker the whole time and is pumping you up, yeah, you might leave those sessions feeling great, but I think that's that's I guess where I'm coming from is like, what is the actual work? that Mm -hmm. the therapist is doing with you. And as we're talking about Dr. Colin Mead, Gina, at least initially, wasn't experiencing the hypnosis. Mm -mm. So Jen went into this first session not even knowing the hypnosis was going to be on the table, which, again, red flag, if this is something that we don't know is sort of what's in the like treatment protocol, right? Yeah, that's so funny. Like I always knew it was on the table, so it never occurred to me that she didn't know. Because obviously the movie is called Hypnotic, so I knew exactly what was going to happen. Yep. Mm-hmm. Um, well, yeah, but, but he asked her, you know, what do you think about what do you think about hypnosis, or like, you know, I, yeah. I'd like to do hypnosis with you. But the yeah. way that I kind of saw it was, you knew this was on the table. Would you like to try it? But I think you're right. Like, I think it's kind of sprung upon her because he's not a hypnotherapist by specialist, or a, it's not his traditional way of doing therapy. Um, right. So she wouldn't right. have known. Yeah. I also like, I think kind of along with this, if you suggest something to a patient that they maybe didn't expect. So like one thing that some people who are like act therapists will do mindfulness or experiential exercises, which some people aren't comfortable with in the same way that people may not Mm -hmm. be comfortable with um, hypnosis. If the person goes like, um, well, usually there's a bit of explaining, which also happened in this case. Oftentimes, Well, actually, now I'm pausing, but oftentimes what will happen will be like, why don't you think about it? And then if you're interested in it, we can do it like during the next session or something like that. I don't, if any therapist is like being super pushy about you having to do a certain thing and you don't feel comfortable doing it. Yeah. Like maybe that's not for you. And I truly think that like there are some approaches that just aren't good fit for certain people. So if you aren't buying into what your therapist is saying, find another therapist. For instance, I do acceptance and commitment therapy. The first part of that is kind of having a little bit of buy-in to the fact that you can't control your thoughts and your feelings. And if you are somebody Mm -hmm. who 100% believes that I can control my feelings and I can change them, we're not going to work well together because the whole time I'm going to be like, accept that you can't control them. And you're going to be like, but I can. (laughs) Right. Yeah. And that's okay. It just means that like maybe finding a CBT therapist or something like that, whereas Colin Mead is like, do this thing and do it now. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah, I love what you said about the sort of way we would actually introduce sort of like a specific therapeutic approach, because that's what I've done with EMDR. Um, you know, when I when people talk about, certainly when I do the initial conversation, sort of these are my therapeutic approaches, it's CBT or it's DBT, or in the event of someone who specifically wants to work on something like trauma, I'll say there is this other approach that I have been trained in um, and that I utilize in some situations like this. Here's a brochure. Feel free to read this while we're not talking. Think about if this is something that you're interested in, and then we'll talk about it next time. So that's absolutely what you know, is a more appropriate norm as opposed to like, oh, like, what do you think about hypno- hypnosis? Okay, great. Well, let's just go lie down on the couch and we're going to do it right now. Here yeah. come the blinking lights. Oh my gosh, those are so <laughs> terrifying. Yes, it was terrifying. And I think, again, this sort of sense of the therapist, I don't even want to call him that. Well, unfortunately, he but is one. Dr. Mead, 
Yeah, supposedly. Sort of immediately sort of like railroading the direction of the session was just really uncomfortable for me to watch. And I didn't like it because even though, well, even though Jen was sort of to a certain degree like, okay, I guess it's just that's not how this process is supposed to. Yeah. Um, Yeah, I I had kind of two thoughts. And one of them was I had written down a thought while I was watching that said, nobody would ever agree this quickly after being somebody who's like, no, I'm not willing to give away control. Although I like had an immediate response in my head that goes, maybe if they're truly lost and desperate, they would, right? If he kind of presents it, it's like, this could be the thing that solves it. And Mm -hmm. you, you might be so sad and lost about the loss of this pregnancy that you named and was going to be your future son, she may be desperate to do whatever she can to feel better. And so then having somebody kind of being like, kind of like a guru, being like, this is the thing that's going to solve it for you. You know, you might give into it pretty quickly. And then the second thought that I had goes along with that guru thing is later he said, the moment you begin to doubt our work, fear wins. And I was like, okay, mm. if your therapist ever is like, you're not allowed to have doubts about this, your your fear is getting in the way of this being productive, I would take a step back and kind of wonder why your therapist isn't curious about your fear or curious about your doubt. And he is so much more like a guru than he is a therapist in that it's like, you need to believe in it, you need to do it, and you need to do it my way and now. Yeah, fully accept this process without follow-up questions. And any other way is wrong. Yeah. (laughs) Well, right. And and again, and I think I'm, I'm assuming you would agree with this, that even in introducing, you know, our process... I emphasize that I'm also very receptive to feedback. If you have questions or concerns about the direction that we're going in or the way in which we're doing the work, please let me know. We can switch tracks. We can sort of change our approach or our focus because this process is supposed to be led by you, the the patient, the person who needs help and needs support. And if at any time it's not feeling like that or if it's feeling like I'm leading or I'm dictating, then that's not going to be good for you and you're not going to benefit from it in the same way. Yeah. And I I know I said it earlier, but I'll say it again. And sometimes it's not a good fit. Yeah. If your therapist is saying to you like, well, you got to do it this way or you'll never get help. Mm, I, I'm concerned about that therapist. It might be, hey, if if this way doesn't fit for you, let's find you a therapist that it does fit with. There's so many different approaches. And I've had plenty of people who don't love my approach and I've been like, hey, that's okay. Let's find you someone who's going to give you the work that you want. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So maybe we should kind of uh, spend some time here breaking down the actual hypnosis scenes yeah. because <laughs> while you and I are not practicing hypnotherapists, I think we've both done our research or know people and talk to people who have been through hypnosis themselves or have practiced hypnosis. So mm-hmm. immediately we see these flashing lights and this sort of very intense hypnosis process. Not exactly, again, not the most comforting sort of process. He tells her to, it's, it's funny because the initial sort of like body scan stuff was mm-hmm. all perfectly on point, right? Mm-hmm. He's sort of helping her sort of relax her body and sort of notice some sensations and doing some visualization, all perfectly appropriate. And then as soon as we see some flashing lights and some intense stuff, and then she wakes up and in like an hour has passed, it's like, mm-hmm. nope, 
Yep. You've already lost me. Mm-hmm. Like the rest of this movie is going to be bonkers because we've we've already left reality. Yeah, I definitely started by being like, "Why did I suggest this? I hate movies like this." And if twenty minutes in, I was like dying of laughter. I was just like, "This is yeah. so fu- <laughs> it's so funny." I was like, "This is a comedic thriller. It's so funny." Mm. Yeah, I also kind of feel like. I mean, it's it's really well set up for the show, which is the the later hypnotherapist, right? The one with good intentions, the good witch. She used a metronome for that yes. kind of like focused attention thing. Mm-hmm. Which to is gra- a sound to ground yourself in. Yep. Yeah, rather than these flashing lights, right? It's the same technique. They're both this mm-hmm. pulsating sensation. One of them is terrifying and clearly a thriller. And the other one is... You could be a piano teacher. Like it's it's like so much like yeah. more s- relaxing and and centering. And I yeah, my response was like, oh my god, these flashing lights! I'm terrified. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I think maybe the first sort of myth for us to dispel here is, and and again, this is according to my own research, and and maybe you've you've seen and heard other things, but this sort of idea of losing track of time or, mm-hmm. or even losing consciousness to a certain mm-hmm. degree that in this first session they portray as like, oh my gosh, all of a sudden an hour went by. Mm-hmm. In my sense of things is that to a certain degree, obviously when you are focused internally as opposed to like focused externally to signs like a clock or like, mm-hmm. you know, other signs that time would be passing, I could see how uh, a... a certain degree of sensation of like oh time went so fast mm-hmm. but this idea of sort of like coming out of hypnosis and almost like you almost got the sense that like she didn't totally know what happened mm-hmm. like that feels a little bit removed from reality to me yeah so my understanding is that this is a difference between stage therapy and hypnotherapy exactly so yeah. stage therapy you actually get put to sleep, quote unquote sleep, where there, of course. there is this kind of like loss of time. In hypnotherapy, it's more like when you get really into the Lego that you're building or the paper that you're writing or something like that, you become kind of ultra focused and time passes and you're like, oh, really? Like an hour has already passed? It's not sure. yep. lost time. It's just kind of like, ooh, like... I was so focused, I didn't notice that time was passing. My understanding is it's more like that because in hypnotherapy, you're put in a relaxed focus state rather than a an asleep state. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I had to ask you about the stage therapy, we or stage, stage <laughs> hypnosis, because we talked about this before recording this episode. And in my research, and I don't know if you were, are going to agree with this or not, but in some of the research that I did, even referring to stage therapy... And I'll read you exactly what I read because I was like, see, that sort of validates stage hypnosis. Mm -hmm. It sort of validates my view on it, which is that it says the truth is these people volunteer to act on stage and they allow themselves to participate in silly suggestions referring to stage hypnotism. Mm -hmm. And that is my like long held belief. You know, anytime you see these sort of viral videos of people being hypnotized on stage or for social media is that it's fake, because that it's not real. Yeah. Um, but what you're describing is that something is happening, even in those circumstances, or something could be happening. Yeah, that is that sort of like relaxed state. Yeah, I think your bias is reading the word act differently than I'm reading it. 
totally fair. Okay. Because my understanding, so yeah, so my understanding is in stage therapy, they choose people who volunteer and who are extroverted because those stage are hypnosis. the- You just did the same thing. I I, oh, see. You did it to me. <laughs> yeah. In stage hypnosis, they choose people who are extroverted and outgoing yes. and are going to- and want to be hypnotized. Yes. And the thing about hypnosis is from everything that's been shared, you're never going to do something that you would not do yourself like anyway mm -hmm. and so yes there is this quote-unquote acting on stage however it is within a hypnotic state so they are hypnotized they're not just like people who are faking it it's not somebody hired by the therapist the hypnotist to act on stage okay so I think I'll take your thing, word for it. One it's thing totally that we my should, bias, by the yeah. way. I'm, I'm on and board I think with like <laughs> one thing that like we can share is for you where like a lot of your kind of like hesitation comes in is you've seen hypnosis show, but you didn't know the people who are hypnotized. I have seen a hypnosis show where I saw eight people I knew get hypnotized. And right. It was very clear to me. And they have they, confirmed to you that it was not like pre-staged or pre-planned. De it's decades later and we will bring stuff up and they don't really remember it happening okay all right. and like that's same you know like when you ask somebody well you may not know this but when somebody's had a concussion like recently and you ask them something they kind of like give you this blank stare of like i have no idea mm. what you're talking about well so i've actually had that literal experience i had a concussion mm -hmm. and for a period of time that day, like did not have short-term memory. So like someone, yeah. you know, asked me to go get a Band-Aid and then I went into the office where it was and like forgot what I was doing. And yeah. they were like, oh, did you get that Band-Aid? And I was like, I don't know what you're talking about. Yeah. So yeah, so that is, I, I recognize that that's possible for the brain to do that. Yeah. And my friend, when you like, will bring up a joke about it, he, you get that blank stare from him. And now mm. he has this pseudo memory of it because we've kind of made fun of him for it for so long that he like okay. remembers yeah. through what we've told him sure but because of that i truly believe that like hypnosis is a thing however i don't think hypnosis as it is portrayed in pop culture thrillers is a thing but like we were talking about in the beginning I'm not willing to give it a try. Like, I don't want to find out the hard way that somebody can call me and get me to almost murder the man I love. <laughs> well, right. And again, so to, to that point, my research and reading uh, sort of tells me that, and this is to your earlier point, that if you are given a suggestion that you don't agree with or don't understand, that the likelihood that you will follow through with it is just not typically in line with reality. In other words, what ends up happening to multiple people in this movie is like Gina gets the phone call while she's driving and he says whatever her trigger, his trigger phrase is like the this world is, is coming the end to an end. Whatever. Yeah. 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 And then she hallucinates her <gasps> greatest fear, which for her is spiders, right? So she sees a spider crawling up her while she's driving and she gets in a car accident. Very tragic. But that that is, again, according to my research, sort of not Mm -mm. really what hypnosis does or is and yeah. that if it's not something that you agree with or not something that you're sort of on board with that the likelihood that you're you would just sort of unconsciously or subconsciously follow through with it because you've been through hypnosis mm -hmm. is just not real 
Yeah. So I've got a couple different things to respond to there. The research I did said that there's only approximately 10% of people who have been studied who Mm -hmm. are truly unable to be hypnotized, like are so either against it or whatever that they can't be hypnotized. 90% will fall under some level of hypnosis given the proper situation. So for example, at that show that I was at where my friends all got hypnotized, one of the girls in the crowd fell asleep when he said, and now you mm-hmm. will fall asleep. So she wasn't even like on the stage getting hypnotized. She fell asleep in her right, sleep right, right. and then woke up from yep. it. So that's one thing is that like the the research kind of shows that there's only really 10% of people who are truly unable to be hypnotized. Mm-hmm. However, to play devil's advocate on your like, this is not how it happens. First of all, let me just say, I completely agree. I'm also not willing to risk it. Okay. <laughs> But the, there's not going to be – like if it happens differently, right? Like if that type of hypnosis is possible, there's not going to be research about it. Like that's not going to be the information that's okay, out that's there. That's a fair point. That's and a fair point. Yeah. something they reference near the end is MK Ultra, which mm-hmm. very controversial. Like very of like course. did it happen? Did it not happen? Do you want you know, to just say, of, state briefly what, what that is for people who sort yeah, of are so, not following the MK Ultra? Yeah. yeah, totally. So I am not super well versed in it, but what I know is that MK Ultra was supposedly a government research program, like a CIA research program that used like hypnosis and brainwashing and torture to kind of create these patsies basically to like get people to do their bidding. I believe, and I may be completely making this up, but I believe that there are conspiracy theories out there that, oh, I'm blanking on his name. Uh, John, no, not Booth. Who was the guy that killed JFK? It's three. Yes, I know who you're talking about. No. Lee Harvey Oswald. Some people believe that Lee Harvey Oswald, who killed JFK, may or may not have Mm -hmm. been in MKUltra. And that program, yeah. I do believe that like there's some evidence for and lots of evidence against, but like who knows? That's on you listeners to figure out on your own. <laughs> That's a whole other <laughs> podcast. Actually, I'm sure there's podcasts out there for you. Of course, of course. But that being said, this is something that like exists in our world that is kind of a suggestion that like perhaps this kind of hypnosis exists. And If it does, right? So I'm not saying that it does, but if it does, Mm -hmm. I don't think that you and I would know about it. I don't think that general old, you know, therapists would know how to do it. Like, I I think it would be totally fair, a much grand. I think you'd have to be kept in a black room with red lights and flashing strobes for a very long time (laughs) to like get your brain to a place where it could truly be controlled at that level. So yeah, I guess I guess let me sort of rephrase then, and and that would be that if you are going to hypnotherapy, mm-hmm. right? If you are intentionally seeking out hypnotherapy, let's just say for generalized anxiety, which is something that I understand is something that hypnotherapy mm-hmm. is, uh, you know, able to treat to some degree. Yeah, smoking cessation is a big one too. Yeah. Oh, that's a big one too. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. So that's a good, maybe a better example that you are not going to be involuntarily sort of planted with a phrase against your consent or knowledge to do something that you don't want to do. That's, yeah, that's my understanding of how hypnotherapy works. And I, like, I believe it as well. 
Yeah. Oh yeah. So yeah. what we're what we don't know is whether or not it's possible to do sort of sort of more nefarious things. Yeah. As to your point, sort of we can't say for sure really whether it is or not because of some of this gray area of of research and things like that. But yeah. but certainly we want to emphasize that for people who are curious about hypnotherapy, like if you go to a hypnotherapist, none of this stuff is going to happen without your consent or knowledge. Yeah. And ask ask questions. Totally. When I was doing my research, one of the things that said when looking for a hypnotherapist, the best way is to ask a friend or somebody that you trust who has done it and ask mm. them kind of what their experience of doing it is like, which does not happen in this sh movie, right? Like if she had That's asked right. people who it had been done with before, they would have been like, uh, no, because we're dead. <laughs> right like yes. she would have found out oh this person does not do it regularly and that kind of stuff and yep. and not only that but when she told Gina that she did the hypnosis Gina had not yeah so and then Gina then became interested and then we, we saw unfortunately what happened to Gina I also want to make it very clear this is yeah. a, a thriller. And so the way you mm -hmm. and I are talking about it is like oh yeah. this is terrifying I want to make it clear that like hypnotherapy is a totally viable, real yep. approach to therapy that many people have seen success in. And actually, research mm -hmm. shows that it has similar percentage efficacy. So like it works equally well as therapies like CBT and stuff like that. So mm -hmm. if you're finding that certain things are not working for you and you are thinking that a more focused, more relaxed state is one that would be really helpful for you. Just do your research and see if this would be a good fit for you and recognize that like Ryan and I are talking about this in terms of this is something that I'll speak for myself that I would be terrified to do. And so having that bias and then also watching this movie, I'm like, this is my biggest fear. <laughs> right. Yeah. And, and I guess I'm talking about it from the perspective of intense curiosity because I, I want it to exist as something that is helpful for people. And I don't want the only sort of pop culture portrayals of something like hypnosis to be this like terrifying thing. Yeah. Because as you said, it absolutely is something that has shown to be effective and safe. Mm -hmm. And there are scary things about it. And, you know, this whole idea of control, I think is, is an interesting one when we talk about Jen in particular. And I think that's where my sort of personal curiosity comes from. It's like, I feel like I'm a person that can't be hypnotized. But I think that's, again, like my bias, like I want to see myself as someone who's like, I'm not susceptible to suggestion. Like, mm -hmm. you're just gonna trick my brain into doing something I don't want it to do. But as we're talking about, like, that's not what this is. It's uh -huh. something that I do want my brain to do. I do want to respond to you know, a desire to smoke differently or, a des uh, you know, uh, a, an anxiety trigger differently. Mm -hmm. yeah. So it's aligned with your goals as opposed to this being this sort of more manipulative thing. Yeah. Well, and I'm also thinking like you're a pretty curious dude, right? Like you have yeah. done the the chamber that you go into about floating yeah the yeah, floating yeah, yeah. chamber and you've gone mm -hmm. to a tarot card reader and you actually are curious about what this would be like. And so I would be intrigued to see like if you could be as opposed to me. I'm like, nope, 
simply just not interested. Like I have such a mental block <laughs> right. that I think that like they'd be like, okay, listen to my voice. And it'd be like, nope, not doing it. Not listening to your voice. And I think there does need <laughs> to be start some buy-in. <laughs> yeah. Like you turn that off. <laughs> yeah. So I would like be very intrigued to see like what level of buy-in is required for hypnosis because mm-hmm. there there is buy-in. I have a friend who is trained in hypnotherapy in her master's program. And she said, one of the things is you have to be willing to engage in the process. So like you to me seem like somebody who'd be like, all right, let's see if this works and like kind of willing to engage Mm -hmm. in the process. And so I would be intrigued, but like that's, I think that's great, right? Like I think that's also kind of how therapy works. Like you kind of have to be willing to engage in the process of therapy. Yeah, it's the it's the open-mindedness. It's I'm dealing with something that I want help with. You're telling me that this is something that might help. Okay, mm-hmm. let's see if it helps. Let's see what happens. You know, because I think I think maybe one of the reasons that I'm also sort of open-minded to this is I have been trained in something that is I don't know how similar it is, but I think people would be curious about it, which is EMDR. You know, I talked about yeah. it before, the sort of process of introducing it to someone. And there are some, let's say, similarities in terms of the state that we're trying to induce to then, let's say, process trauma, as is what commonly is done in EMDR. So in EMDR, either there is eye movement happening by a person following the therapist's hand or fingers moving back and forth or following a visual cue Mm -hmm. moving back and forth. There's also bilateral stimulation. So the patient can do things like tapping. They can sort of alternate tapping their knees or shoulders. And through this focus, the process of noticing the memories and associated feelings and thoughts that come up is how EMDR sort of like identifies the process of trauma. Okay, When you think about this memory, these feelings come up, these thoughts come up, and these feelings or thoughts are, to whatever degree, distressing. Mm -hmm. So we kind of break down that process. And then we identify these sort of alternative thoughts or alternative feelings that we would like to feel. And we continue the EMDR eye movement process or tapping process while, again, sort of processing those same traumatic memories, Mm -hmm. but sort of inducing the, let's say, alternative thought process that you want to hold. And then over time, that's sort of in an ideal process. What ends up happening is that you're able to then hold on to these new thoughts about the traumatic memories that you've experienced. So it does sound a little crazy and it does sound a little bit like hypnosis, Mm -hmm. but hypnosis is going to be different in some very specific ways. One of those being, like we see with Jen, it's often uh, eyes closed in that sort of relaxed state or trance uh, position that is sort of the goal to kind of put someone in that state. And then you're inducing, you know, and again, you can correct me from your research, uh, you know, sort of triggers to kind of get a sense or maybe not triggers is not the right word. I am looking for... suggestions. Suggestions is the word I'm looking for. Mm -hmm. Yes, thank you. Which is basically like what happens in a very negative way for Jen and Gina, which is basically like when you hear this or when you think this or when you see this, this is what's going to happen for Gina. Like when I, when Gina, when, and I can just like, this is terrible, but okay, Gina, when I say the world is about to end, you're going to 
uh, imagine a spider crawling up your shirt. Mm -hmm. That's like the worst case scenario of like what we're talking about. Whereas instead it might be the next time you think about, let's say, taking a cigarette out to smoke, Mm -hmm. here's what you're going to think about instead, or here's what you're going to picture instead. Mm -hmm. And through that sort of suggestion process, it's it's, it's like an alternate road that you want your your thought process to follow and then ideally your behavior will follow as well yeah so there's some interesting parallels but but i think some important differences as well do you know if there's any research with emdr that suggests that it brings up false or distorted memories so the initial part of emdr is what we call like a history taking so it's mm-hmm. completely separate from the the eye movement. It's just sort of going through, you know, here are the memories or here are the experiences that you're bringing up for work, basically. Mm-hmm. So even before we get into the eye movement, we're trying to establish what happened. Mm-hmm. So we try to prevent that. But when you're doing some of this travel back work repeatedly, mm-hmm. I think the story can change sometimes for people. If you tell a story often enough or if a story is told back to you often enough little details can change so there's certainly some possibility for that happening yeah because that's one of the most spoken about potential risks of hypnotherapy is Mm -hmm. because of the suggestion there is a likelihood or i don't know if likelihood is a word but there's a possibility for false or distorted memories that can kind of come out of it and that's why kind of what Detective Rollins was talking about is super interesting, whereas like hypnosis will sometimes be used in court mm-hmm. to get witnesses to bring things up. But then also on the other side of it, it's not accepted as like a defense, but it's used often, not oftentimes, but it can be used on the prosecution side where it's like, but the same What's used against it in defense is used for is not used against it in the prosecution side. And and that's that like false or distorted memory thing, which actually you don't need hypnosis for that either. That has happened in history with children as well, kind of accusing people of something because it was suggested to them that that person did something. Yeah. You know, obviously there are some parallels between hypnosis and EMDR. But that's why we really emphasize what we said at the start, which is ask questions. If you're not sure, if you're uncomfortable, say so, because that's Mm -hmm. what's going to make sure you get the information that is going to make you comfortable or the clarification that's going to make you say, actually, I'm not sure if this is right for me. That needs to be okay. Absolutely. I, I definitely think no matter what you're doing, if you have questions about it in therapy or doubts, ask. And your therapist's response and willingness to explore your doubts or your questions is a lot of information for you. If they handle it well in a, in a way that fits really well with you, great. If you feel like they handle it poorly and you feel comfortable bringing that up, you can do that or kind of deciding that maybe it's not a good fit. Like all of these are options to you. And so, yeah, ask all those questions. Yeah. So I guess, you know, if we deal with the rest of the reality of this movie, right, Mm -hmm. stuff starts to go pretty sideways pretty quickly after, (laughs) you know, a very brief moment of, oh, yeah, I had that first session, those first couple of sessions. And now Jen is working. She has a job and and she seems so much happier and lighter. Mm -hmm. And then things obviously go haywire pretty quickly. They find out that several of Dr. Mead's patients in the past had died 
they meet the detective. Dr. Mead finds out that they had been doing this research. So he uh, induces Gina to get into a car accident. Really terrible stuff. And then hypnotizes that other woman. Yeah. Oh. Yes. He sends the other woman against uh, to attack our, our beloved detective Rollins. Oh, gosh. When that woman was climbing out of that thing, I was like, why am I doing this to myself? This is so terrifying. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yeah. And then, then we're on into like sort of full on thriller mode, right? Where we've just sort of left all semblance of reality, yeah. right? We start to learn that that Jen has lost like large blocks of time. She's having what she thought were dreams, but what turn out to be just like planted memories. Other complete other experiences, right? Yeah. With with Dr. Mead at his father's house. And it turns out that Dr. Mead is basically trying to turn Jen into his ex-wife. <laughs> yep. Pretty bizarre. Yeah. It was super bizarre. And I also like, I was yeah. like, oh, this is that typical myth that serial killers have a quote unquote type. Mm-hmm. That was so wild. It just got weirder and weirder. Yeah. And the whole like manipulative, malevolent uh, therapist as villain, like, I just hate it so much because it does so much. It's just so much bad stuff for, frankly, our profession, which is already uh, always like, there are already people who are like suspicious that therapists are, you know, uh-huh. doing what they do for alternative motives or people are just, uh, you know, they don't really want to listen or they're just doing this for what they think of as a lot of money for some reason. Like there's all sorts of terrible generalizations and stereotypes and a movie like this where it's like, oh, look at this attractive man who's just going to it's going to help you feel better from all these things that have happened. Nope. He's actually going to completely take over your life and turn you into his second wife. <laughs> oh man, it really Or like fourth depending really, on if you count the other women that he killed. Probably. <laughs> right, that's right. All these other women that he apparently killed. Well, Brian, yeah. what you're not Yeah. thinking about is that mm-hmm. ultimately the person who saves the day is also a therapist because the you woman who does good point. the counter mm-hmm. suggestion was a therapist yep. like she was like okay great let's figure out a way to make this work and so mm-hmm. she there was a twisty turny right and i was like oh whoa what's happening yep, of, course. Um, of course always. and then later i was like this is wild and then i was like oh my god another twist i forgot about the counter twist <laughs> <laughs> and the counter twist spoiler alert but if you're listening to this you should have known a therapist is ultimately who helps her get out of the situation she's found herself in, which if we're going to make this all like nice and warm and fuzzy, I think if you have a bad experience with a therapist, it's not because therapy is bad. It's because your experience with that therapist is bad. And unfortunately, there are plenty of people who have pretty traumatic, scary experiences with therapy particularly in like more higher levels of care but also like on on smaller scales like having a therapist who's not a good fit can kind of make you feel dissuaded against therapy and all I can suggest is if you do feel that it's something that you might want to try ask those questions do that research say to somebody like I'd like to take one or two 
sessions with you to see what it's like before I make a, a full-on decision. And that's okay. Yep. Because for every bad therapist out there, there's at least one good one. Yeah, I love that suggestion. And that's something that I, I tell people as well, that if you have a bad experience with a therapist, or frankly, any professional, yeah, don't let the lesson from that experience be, I shouldn't have gone to therapy. Mm-hmm. Because that's respectfully not the right lesson. The lesson is, I made a decision to try to do something that was helpful for myself, and unfortunately didn't find the right person this time. Yes. Because that as a lesson becomes something it's like, okay, I can still do something good for myself. I just want to make sure the next person I find does these things differently than what I had, right? Mm -hmm. I can carry the lessons of what I did not like of what was not working into my next experience. Yeah. I think that speaks to most relationships as well. Yeah. Yeah. So really crazy the direction that this this movie took us, but I think... At the end of the day, if you can advocate for yourself and find a therapist or in the case of someone like Jen, find uh, appropriate law enforcement, you can get the support that you need to get even get out of even the most toxic relationships. Agreed. And I do like that the other therapist felt way more comforting, way more sort of grounded in reality. Yeah. And did some of the things we talked about, right? The sort of here's what's the the sort of healthy cognition, the sort of fail safe suggestion is that we're going to use. If Dr. Mead calls you my love, you are going to snap out of it and see reality for what it is supposed to be, mm-hmm. right? Which I thought was brilliant. That sort of last false ending where it's like, oh, thank God she shot Dr. Mead. Everything's okay. It felt a little bit uncertain. And sure enough, Dr. Mead kind of had her back under his spell, more yeah. or less, and she needed to kind of get through to him one more time. Yeah. Well, and I think that kind of the way that you just described the second therapist doing it is probably more similar to what hypnotherapy is, which is a 100%. When you're feeling the urge to smoke, you're going to instead do this thing or or take this different approach or or relate to it differently. Mm-hmm. And ultimately, you have control over doing that, but what it will do is it'll basically show you that there is an alternative option. In this case, it needed to be mm-hmm. more dramatic because she needed to break out of the spell of, of this other guy. Yeah, yeah. Whereas like you're not under a spell generally. But yeah, I think that's kind of a more accurate representation of what it would be like if you weren't under a spell. <laughs> right. There is there is no spell. You are you are in control, you know, even in hypnotherapy. You get yes. to decide I want this to happen or I don't want this to happen. And the hypnotherapist as the good one does kind of enables her to have the outcome that she was hoping for even though she had to go through a lot of trauma to get there oh gosh and then (laughs) she shot poor detective rollins yeah well she's a good shot as as Colin said well i guess dr mead actually told her that right yeah yeah yeah. whoops well and then she ultimately shot him too so like she has a good shot yeah so so she she saved herself yeah Oh, yeah, and and uh, Doctor or Doctor uh, Detective Rollins survived, so uh, happy endings all around. And then brought bought her a um, a sleep hip- hypnosis CD. That was yeah, so funny. <laughs> I loved that. That's a, a gift nice that touch. I would love yes. after that. Yeah, <laughs> after going through all that. Yeah, I'd be like, yeah, this is the gift for me. <laughs> Sure. I'm totally going to play this CD for myself. (laughs) Yeah. So we've arrived at the end of the movie and I think it's time for us to do 
some reviews. Yeah. Yeah. So on a scale of zero to five creepy tarantulas, how accurate did you think the portrayal of mental health and its various techniques was? So I'm taking your note that the hero therapist at the end <laughs> did everything by the book and took what what would have been like the lowest score I could possibly think of <laughs> for a movie representing mental health issues and and gave it some grounding in reality. So mm-hmm. I will give it like a 1.5 tarantulas <laughs> out of five. <laughs> a lot of really not realistic stuff here. Yeah. But there's just enough that if you kind of weave through the the thriller nonsense to see the things that were were still valuable from a mental health standpoint about yeah. hypnotic. And we didn't even talk about grief reaction or oh my uh, gosh. trauma yeah. or the relationship or the like guilt of almost killing the man she loved. We didn't even mm-hmm. get to speak about what her mental health reaction would be to this experience. Oh no, Jen's going to need a lot more help even after getting through all this. Well, and like the only truly accurate thing I think was that she got a pretty severe haircut after a big life event. (laughs) (laughs) That is something that happens very frequently is if there's like a breakup or some kind of thing, women will frequently get a haircut after that. (laughs) Yeah, as like the stereotypical sign of like, I'm a new person, Yeah, right? Basically, it's like taking control over change. Yeah, great. All right, Haley, so let's do for you, I would love to get a sense of how entertaining you thought Hypnotic was on a scale of one to five creepy murder rooms somehow also being a therapy room. Oh, gosh. This, I think it's going to shock you, but I'm going to say like a four, four and a half entertaining. And I think the reason why is because it was laughably bad. I started by being like, I hate thrillers. Why did I choose this? This is insane. (laughs) And then it was so bad that I like had such immense joy. Like I watched it like three days before you did And I texted you being like, you're going to hate this. (laughs) And like the immense joy that I felt knowing that you were just going to be seething (laughs) was like. The whole time. Yeah. Yeah. And so do I think this deserves any awards? Absolutely not. However, it was so fun because of how bad it was. Mm. Like to me, I loved the movie Snakes on a Plane. I loved it. And I will okay. stand behind that, but I loved it because it was horrible. And that mm. is how I fe- feel about this movie is that like it was so obvious for an hour and 15 minutes. And then for the last 15 minutes, it was just like twist, 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 twist. And then it was yeah. like, and yeah. now everyone's fine. I literally like so many of my notes are just like capital ha 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 or just like me hitting the keyboard <laughs> because I'm laughing so much. So yeah, that was me kind of saying the same thing over and over again, but truly so laughably bad that it, I give it a four, four and a half. <laughs> okay. So I actually, I appreciate the comparison to Snakes on a Plane, a movie that I also enjoyed, by the way. So good. <laughs> I'm on board with you. And I think the only reason that I couldn't enjoy it in the same way is because I felt this like 
yeah, just this like uh, annoyance and aggravation and agitation at, I think exactly why we have this podcast, which is like, can we not, can we not make the serial killer someone who uses like a mental health trick to take control of a person? Yeah. And I just couldn't, I couldn't give myself the sort of uh, emotional distance that I needed to enjoy the ridiculous plot structure that existed here. So what was so funny for me is because this was so extreme and so laughable, like to me, Mm. it was like, this is not even sure. We'll use the word therapy as opposed to like, you know, what we did back in November, which was in treatment, that was close enough that I couldn't separate myself from that. Cause I was like, Oh, you know, this kind of looks like therapy as opposed to this was so just out there that I was like, all we need now is aliens. <laughs> it's like so out there. It's ridiculous. So funny. Yeah. Well, I hope everyone out there is listening is is seeing this movie the same way that you did and is able to just kind of completely disconnect any mental health value from it and just <laughs> enjoy it as the sort of wacky thriller that it is. Yeah. And I'm fine with that. If that's what it is, then we can we can just say almost like pay no attention to this as having any value and just sort of enjoy the the ridiculousness yeah. of it. And that that's fine. And I will say as a final thing for people who do not like scary movies, I am the world's biggest weenie. I will not watch scary movies. This was not scary. Nah. The first scene, I was nervous that it was going to get scary. And then the scene where the woman is climbing out of the cupboard, that is scary for about three seconds. Mm-hmm. And other than that, it's just sure. like you're just watching like a SVU like law and order kind of episode. <laughs> yeah. And, and in that sense, it's just sort of uh, silly. Like you said, more than anything, there's yeah. just a lot of, you know, silly, crazy, wacky stuff going on. So to me, it felt like a comedic thriller. <laughs> yeah. I joked that this would be a short episode just cause I was so kind of agitated. We were getting in and out of it, but there is a lot of very real things like everything that we talk about to, to go through. So yeah. I hope and I appreciate everybody kind of coming along for the ride with us on this one. And we hope to do some more reality grounded uh, (laughs) source material in the near future. Yeah. And please follow us at PopPsych101 on Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok. And we will speak to you soon. That's right. And when I say goodbye, you will go ahead and have a good week. Goodbye.